Good morning, and welcome to this week's public affairs program. I'm Jay Zimmer in the newsroom. This week we hear from Joshua Calhoun, Executive Director of Hope of Evansville, who talks about redlining past and present in Evansville. It is a topic that can be touchy when talking about housing, right? I'm looking out at the audience and there's some here who uh, lived through this time period that we're gonna talk about, some who benefited from the time period, some who are still benefiting, and some of the things that I'm gonna talk about and say today, uh, I'm not saying to be offensive, but I'm saying because these are things that happened and they're things that we all are responsible for uh, being able to improve or to assist as individuals, organizations, or uh, helping other organizations like Hope of Evansville uh, to uh, meet certain initiatives to make things better for everyone. And so this is my brief history of redlining. And so the map that you see here is a map of Evansville. And so yes, we participated in redlining. And so the red areas on the map, it looks more pink, but those are some of the areas that redlining took place here in Evansville. Any of you guys familiar with uh, the red areas or live in any of the red areas? I've lived in most of them, right? And I, I want you guys to uh, feel free to conversate with me when I ask you things or uh, just participate. I want this to be as relaxing as I can make it because like I said, it's a challenging topic uh, that we've dealt with either personally or we're dealing with uh, or it's a challenge that we've at least heard of. And so I've lived in most of these red areas on the map growing up being an Evansville native. Can everyone hear me okay? Okay, good, good. I just wanted to make sure I saw some people squinting. Uh, I'm an Evansville native. I was born and raised here in Evansville. Uh, I'm 39 years old, just to give you an idea of the time frame that I grew up in. And so I've lived in most of these redlined areas, typically low-income areas, all over town. Uh, my church currently is located on the west side of Evansville in that red area, uh, just left to uh, the Evansville, Indiana sign. I go to Dove Chapel. It's in a red area. I've lived in all of these red areas because I moved around. Yes, sir. Or pink, I'm sorry. Purple? It's coming across just a little different. But those shaded areas of pink, purple, red, uh, Valentine colors, uh, are areas that we redlined in. And I lived in, and if most, if not all of those areas, I moved 21 different times uh, from the time that I started kindergarten until the day that I moved out senior year of high school. Uh, we had a lot of housing instability uh, growing up. I was raised by my grandma, my single mother, and uh, it was a struggle. And part of that struggle was directly attributed to housing, not being able to afford to live where we would like to live, not being able to afford to keep the home uh, where we were currently living. And if we weren't moving, then we had issues with utilities, uh, where the lights would be off, where the water would be off. And so uh, over my lifetime, I can count at least eight different times that we were evicted, where we were forced to leave, and the other times we moved before that came. 
And uh, so that is my history with housing. And so I'm gonna share a little bit about redlining and how it, it's impacted me specifically and how it may have impacted some of you as well. So what is redlining? I'm sure all of you are familiar or have at least heard about redlining. It is the discriminatory practice of not lending uh, to certain individuals based on race or where they wanted to live, right? And it's hard to imagine today that that was the basis for whether or not a person received a mortgage, right? But it happened. How did we get to that point, right? So the Great Depression was the, uh, the wave, in the wake of the Great Depression, there was all of these issues that needed to be solved. So you had the stock market that crashed, you had unemployment that skyrocketed, kind of like COVID. We all just experienced a similar incident with COVID where you had high record numbers of unemployment. You had companies that were unable to perform because the stock market was failing. And so President Franklin D. Roosevelt had to do something to stimulate the economy to get things back on track. So he came up with the New Deal. By show of hands, and not to age anyone, but how many people remember the New Deal coming out? By show of hands, yes sir. <laughs> and so some of us lived through this time period. So the New Deal made it so that there was a new structure for mortgages. That's where the 30-year mortgage comes from, uh, so that low-income individuals could then afford to purchase homes. Uh, that's where the low uh, interest rates come from, from the New Deal. And so uh, with this New Deal, it was to aid only white Americans. This was in our lifetime. It was to aid only white Americans. And so from that deal also came the Federal Housing Administration uh, where they provided insurance, where they backed these mortgages. But it came with the clause. The clause was, if we're going to back these mortgages and insure these mortgages, that the homes could only be sold to white Americans. And so they subsidized building subdivisions. And uh, in these subdivisions, again, the policies and the restrictions were that it could only be white Americans. And if you were going to resell your home, there were deed restrictions that stated that they could not sell the home to Negroes. Does this sound familiar? Right? And it's, it's somewhat of an embarrassing part of our history. And so they have these deed restrictions. And as recent as 2017, here in Evansville, these restrictions were still on the books. How do I know that I worked for the city of Evansville, working in metropolitan development, housing development, dealing with all of the federal grants, subsidizing developments, and it was still on the books. And so what that tells me is that somewhere along the line, someone dropped the ball in correcting these issues and trying to solve these issues that were still on the books. The GI Bill was something else that came out of that. It made it so that World War II veterans were able to obtain mortgages, but not for 
black veterans. And so they follow the same policies as the New Deal and the Federal Home uh, Administration, right? And so these things happened. So in 1968, 1968, all of this was deemed illegal. And so it was allowed to persist for 34 years. Most of us who have mortgages, we get mortgages for 15, 30 years, right? And so for some individuals, they have the opportunity to not pay off one home, but possibly two in 34 years. And so there are some impacts. There are some uh, long-lasting effects of these type of policies. I know that because I'm a product of that. So let's talk just a bit. So how many of you own homes that are older than this time period? Right? Great. Thank you for that. How many of how many of you have family or relatives that were able to purchase within that time period? Did you in I'm talking I'm talking about 1934 to 1968. And so there's a lot of homes that were purchased, acquired, passed down through generations from that time period. And the statistics show that home ownership is the best vehicle for creating generational wealth. Right? How many of you inherited a home? Excellent. And, and I'm not saying this to, like I said, to offend anyone, but I, I want to make the point of these lasting effects. And so combating redlining takes a couple things. It takes recognizing the issues and being willing to address them. As I mentioned before, there was still redlining policy in place as recent as 2017, 2018 with the city of Evansville. Still deed restrictions, not on, where it was said that certain people couldn't live in certain areas, right? And so there is this attitude of anti-black that really pushed this policy, that made this policy what it was and I was just imagining what it would be like if I were alive during that time. If I benefited from these policies, would I have said anything? Would I have done anything to change it because it didn't affect me? Right? These are the questions. And it dawned on me, and, and this was the first time I'd ever thought of this, that it, it's difficult to be white. It can be because there's some things that you have to force yourself to see and wrestle with and decide what you're going to do uh, to either improve or to just go with the status quo. Those are the decisions. 
And that's what it's going to take to completely eradicate redlining. I'm sure you guys have watched the news and you've heard as recent as this year, last year, that there were issues pertaining to redlining. There is a bank here in our community. I won't name the names. I like the smile. He's like, is he going to say it? Uh, I won't name the name. But it happened in Indianapolis where they were, there were accusations of redlining. We're talking about 2022. 1968, it was deemed illegal. Someone is still perpetuating this mentality, this thought, this policy, that we're still dealing with the issues today. And so it was an allegation, but they decided to fund certain neighborhoods with down payment assistance to the tune, I believe, of $9,000 if you purchase in a certain neighborhood. But it was an allegation. I've always been taught follow the money. Was it really an allegation? It's just a question. And so there's other banks that have done similar things in places like Ohio and Miami. And this sort of policy and practice has continued. I know you've seen recently in the news when you talk about black homeowners and their appraisal values. Redlining came from the home ownership loan, um, home ownership loan company where they designed these uh, maps to say, if you live in this area that is green, this is a good area. You can make loans here in this area. And they color-coded the entire map to figure out who lived where and who they were going to let live where. So if you were a successful business owner, you could live in this green area. If you were a working-class blue-collar worker, you could live in this other area. And then there was an area that was redlined, and it was for individuals that were minorities or immigrants where they were said to be high risk and they wouldn't make loans in those areas or allow those individuals to move into other areas to do better. I'm reminded of a story uh, that Cory Booker told about how his family acquired their home. He said that they had to have a family friend who was white to go and pretend to be them, to see a home in an area that they weren't allowed to purchase in because of redlining, and they could afford to live there. And so their friend pretended to be his parents, and at the day of closing, they went, his actual family went to the closing. And the realtor was so mad that they had pulled a fast one on him to the point that he struck Cory Booker's father. And long story short, they ended up being able to purchase the home, which allowed for generational wealth, and it allowed for Cory Booker to be Cory Booker. And so when you talk about home ownership and education, I might be getting ahead of myself. There we go. 
the impacts of redlining. That handsome young man is me. I put these pictures in here. These are personal pictures to me. So the top picture on the top right, that is my great-grandparents and my grandma and my aunts. They lived in that home in the 50s, right in the middle of redlining. That's where they lived. I don't know how well you guys can see this image, but it's wooden slats. My grandma oftentimes would tell me stories about living in a home with a dirt floor and how much of a struggle it was just keeping that home because that's where they were allowed to live. My grandmother never owned a home. The picture below, and I shared with you guys that I was raised by my grandmother and my mother. That picture there is Fulton Public Housing or Fulton Projects as we call it. That was in the 80s. Today, Fulton Projects is still a low-income area. It's still a pocket of poverty as a direct result of housing individuals only in certain areas because of redlining. Growing up as a kid, I don't remember ever seeing anyone white living in Fulton. I would see white people when I went to school at Cedar Hall. My best friend was a white kid named Jake that could never come to my house. And that's where I lived the first formidable years of my life. It was run down then. The swing set doesn't even have swings, if you notice that in the picture. Because that is what my grandma had access to. That's where we lived. And if you know anything about housing, your property values, when you pay taxes, that sort of thing, go to the schools. And so if you're hoping to do better, typically it's with education. But if you go to a poor school because you live in a poor neighborhood and you're not allowed to live in a better neighborhood, how do you better yourself? I've personally been impacted by redlining and it, it just dawned on me as I was asked to, to talk about this topic. So segregation was created as a result of redlining. One of the ways that they were able to uh, talk to developers and convince developers to develop is to have a divide. You can't develop in that area because it's too close to a redlined area. And so they would build barriers. They started off by building walls. They would build walls to separate them from certain neighborhoods. And then it turned into highways. And that's why you can see, even here in our city, that highways divide certain parts of the city, what the good parts are or the bad parts are. So segregation was created from redlining. I mentioned the impact on education with tax dollars and paying into schools. I wanted to include this statistic as well that is not directly related to redlining, but it's the attitude that many people had towards certain groups of people that caused uh, certain outcomes. So this is a today statistic that black households earn only 60% of what the average 
white household earns. Some of that's redlining. Some of that has to do with education, right? And so it's an attitude that people have perpetuated. So white borrowers who sold their homes in the 60s, they were able to sell those homes for two times the value, two times the national average. And today, those same homes sell for six to eight times the national average. I wanted to lay the foundation of redlining and its impact on not just our community, but the country. Its impact on all of us. Some of you may feel guilty in some sense. Some of you may feel sad or upset. But it was the time that we lived in. And I think the true measure of how far we've come as a people is in what we do in the future, what we do now, what we do going forward to fix the issues of the past. I personally am involved with trying to fix these issues. As the executive director of Hope of Evansville, we deal directly with issues that are stemming from the past. There's so many individuals who never learned about credit because their family members, their mothers, their fathers, their grandparents never learned about credit. It's mind-blowing to think that something that is so common of a conversation to some that others have never heard about it even today. We get phone calls on a regular basis where individuals call and they say, how can I build my credit? What do I need to do? How do I start? And I'm sure many of you sitting here as successful business owners and uh, leaders in this community, you can answer those questions as well. And you probably have had these conversations at your dinner tables with your parents or your grandparents, and they've just been common conversations. But there's a lot of people who've never had them. And so we help at Hope of Evansville to promote and sustain uh, affordable housing. We do credit counseling to help individuals to bridge that information gap, to help individuals to realize the dreams that they have seen only in their minds. Like myself, my grandmother, my mother, they never owned homes. They didn't receive an education. My mom dropped out in high school. I was the first in my family to go to college because times were different. Education was different. And some of the things that improved was you were able to choose where you wanted to go to school in some cases. Or in my case, I was able to use multiple addresses, sometimes old addresses because I moved so many times. And I just said that I lived certain places so I could go to certain schools that I felt like were better schools. That's how I was able to get somewhat of a decent education. I say somewhat because I wasn't the best student. And uh, I learned to be a better student in college. But it wasn't on my mind because it wasn't something that was passed down to me and taught as valuable. I didn't realize how education would provide me the opportunities to earn a living, 
that will provide me an opportunity to purchase a home to create generational wealth. And so I did all those things as a first, and they weren't conversations. It was a struggle to uh, find my way uh, through college and navigating how to purchase a home and how to build credit. And if, if it wasn't for good people like you guys sitting here in this room sharing information, or people that I work with at the city of Evansville saying this is what you can do uh, to have a down payment on a home, or learning about organizations like Hope of Evansville. And so I'm going to pivot and go into exactly what we do at Hope of Evansville and how hopefully you guys will come along and help us to continue to do what we do. So Hope of Evansville, we're a housing agency. Like I said, we help, to ind we help individuals to realize the dreams of home ownership, or sometimes it's just financial freedom. And so we provide down payment assistance. So if you know of individuals that are low to moderate income individuals, we'll give them up to $15,000 for down payment assistance to purchase their first homes. If you know of individuals who are struggling to pay their mortgages, because we are coming out of an economic downturn, the same as the Great Depression. But now we have better tools to help individuals to keep their homes and to buy homes. And so if you know an individual that is struggling with the mortgage, we help individuals to catch up on their mortgages to the tune of $50,000. We also do uh, financial literacy classes. We do uh, budgets. We do coaching for um, how to better get on budget. And we also provide money behind that. So, and this is for anyone. If you come to Hope of Evansville and you sit down with one of our housing counselors and you create a budget, we'll give you $500 to help further get you on budget, on target with uh, your financial goals. Those are the sorts of things that we do. We offer uh, an individual development account or an IDA account that for every dollar that our clients save, we put in $2 and sometimes $3 as a match, depending on the, that year of government funding. And those dollars can be used as down payment on a home. It can be used to start a business. It can be used uh, to pay for your education. It can be used for home repairs. Uh, those dollars can also be used to buy a vehicle. Transportation is huge when you're talking about keeping a job and being able to pay a mortgage and, like I said, create generational wealth. And so we help individuals with those things. We help to mitigate issues of things that they may not have learned, uh, things that uh, may be issues because of government policy or discrimination. Whatever the case is, we help to resolve those issues for low to moderate income families. Uh, we've been around since 1967. And this year, we're actually going to purchase our own office. Uh, we purchased the old Burger King building on North Main. And we're in the process of rehabbing that building. Uh, it is just shy of 4,000 square feet. And we're expanding because we are uh, accepting the challenge to help save every homeowner that calls or comes through our doors. Because uh, the statistic is that foreclosures went up 700% during COVID. And so we're standing up to that challenge to help save uh, anyone who is a client of ours in the state of Indiana, we serve all the counties in the state of Indiana, us and maybe six other housing organizations throughout the state. And so we need a new office. Uh, we've hired 
three new housing counselors since I started the Hope of Evansville three years ago. And so we're expanding. Uh, we have uh, new and innovative ideas for housing development, for senior housing, uh, for um, homeless individuals. And so we have some things that we're planning to push out and do uh, to help individuals to do better, to live the lives that they uh, see in their minds, to help those things to come to fruition. And you guys can be a part of that. It, there are some things that you can do. We have a brick drive. And uh, that brick drive, you can purchase a brick for $100 uh, to have your name on the walkway to our new office, to show that you've supported in a housing cause, to show that you uh, supported in financial literacy and building our community. There are still, there's still a lot of work to be done, but at Hope of Evans, where we're trying to do our part. In this picture, you see some of the homes that we've developed. Uh, we develop a craftsman-style home. And uh, in the past 15 years, we've built 100 units. Last year, we built 60 of those units. We did 20 single-family homes. We did 10 townhomes in a 30-unit apartment building, all for low-income individuals. Prior to that development, we, we built 40 single-family homes. And uh, that was through tax credits and generous donations from individuals like all of you. And so at this time, I'm going to take some questions or just comments of some of the things that I've talked about and discussed. Like, what are your thoughts? Uh, how do you feel about um, redlining and some of those uh, issues that are still bubbling up every now and then? How does it make you feel? What can you do? Yes, sir. My name is Roy Arnold. A lot of you don't know that I grew up in Selma, Alabama. Yeah. From For sharing that and so you can be a part of the solution or you can go with the way that things are going thank you dr Arnold. let's give josh around a hand thank you so much thank you for joining us for this week's program i'm jay zimmer from all of us at midwest communications evansville make it a great week